I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. So our Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, is currently out at bluerosemag.com. It is $19.99, so get your copy today as supplies are very limited and will be running out very soon. So if you haven't got your copy today, go to bluerosemag.com today. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska, and today... We have a very special guest for twenty. Our first guest of twenty nineteen, Mr. John Bernardi. Hey, John. Hey. Yeah, man. So you recently put out Electricity Nexus. What is this number twenty two A? Yeah, is- number number twenty two. Spread out an entire week because I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. Wow. I mean, this is something else. I mean, this is a quite uh, an incredible thing that you put together. These uh, all these uh, articles. What? What made you think about doing this? Like you've done, you've been doing a lot of different theories, but like, where did this come from? Did, was this just a continuation of the work you've been doing? Or yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like ever since, uh, ever since Secret History of Twin Peaks came out, and I was kind of on this whole like reality is like warping somehow, and like I got that whole time quake earthquake thing, where like you know it seemed like time was like shifting in world. Like, this is pretty much, like, I mean, as, as far as I can tell, this is the end of that whole cycle of, mm. like, my exploration since October of 2016. So, yeah, I I, um, <laughs> I applaud you for actually making it through this whole thing. Um, I, I pretty much felt like this, if, if I could only leave the Twin Peaks fandom one thing, this was going to be it. So I put in a garage, I put in a kitchen sink. Or as Andy would say, a whole damn town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's about right. Do you want to walk us through this whole, uh, uh, all these different parks and kind of go over some of it with us? Uh, Sure, yeah. Um, Okay, so so basically um, the the main gist of like what I was trying to prove, because I mean, I instinctively feel like there are a couple things that, are absolutes for me and you know i'm i'm not going to be one of those people that say i have the answer i just Mm. have my answer and i i really do think this is about as close as we're going to get to like my own personal answer for what twin peaks's modern incarnation is yeah and um the the one thing that i think it's absolutely doing is not erasing laura palmer's murder Hmm. We like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the fundamental trauma of Twin Peaks since forever. And I mean, you know, you you just can't erase that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, in real life, you can't erase trauma. You can you you have to work through it. So, I mean, basically, I think that uh, 
the whole of season three and you know secret history final dossier all that stuff i think it's all basically a process of like this is what happens in between trauma and acceptance and you have your own theory about that but i just looking at carrie in the end for me Mm -hmm. she screams at the end so to me that like she's she seems to me like she's realizing the trauma. Like she's, he- I think she's hearing Sarah Palmer saying "Laura, Laura," yeah. And then mm-hmm. she, I, I feel she's waking up, so she's experiencing. She's finally letting trauma in in some way. So I feel like mm. yes. If nothing else, that should be uh, understanding that like you're not getting away, you're not creating a new life. <laughs> I mean, your life is catching up with you. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I'm really interested in what you're – I mean, I, I'm so glad that you really dive deep into the idea of trauma in Twin Peaks because it really is so important to the show. Yeah. The use of energy, um, I really like that. How did you come up with that idea of the use of energy? Because it was interesting. Uh, you know, Ben and myself were talking about the before we called you, and I was – the first thing that came to mind, and I – you know, we scoured your article, and we we're, we're not a hundred percent sure. We don't think you mentioned it. You could have, and maybe we missed it. But the one when the little boy gets hit by the car, we oh, you know what? No, I didn't mention that at all. Huh. We we you you physically see now. I think you gave it a great name. You see his energy leaving his body. Yeah, that trauma of being hit by a car, his energy mm-hmm. is leaving, and only only one person seems to see the energy leaving. Yeah. And you, for me, you gave it a great name. And then I said to Ben, I go, you know, that energy kind of looks like the energy that uh, Dougie saw above the, uh, the slot machines. And we went back, and it's essentially it the same. It literally is the same it's energy. A- it's like flames, yellow flames, and right, the, splo- huh. the slots, it just has the red, like. Uh, it had the, the red room in there. But, and post. It, but the yellow was still there. The yellow flames, that is the same kind of energy that. They, Left the boy's body. Yeah. So then we're like, oh, that's interesting. So we need, we need can you add that to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I think giving it a name that should have been obvious to most, like myself, but reading it was like, oh, wow, it hits you in the head like a brick. You're like, yes, this is what I've been thinking, but I didn't know how to say it in words. And I, I yeah. love that analogy about the energy. And when I always say to John Thorne, it, it, great people who come up with these theories. They they make you think. Yeah. And John, uh, John Bernardi, your essay your, or essays really do that too. That you it makes you just keep thinking and thinking. It's like oh yeah, that made me think about right the yeah. the, the, the car accident with the boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just glad that I'm able to do that kind of thing. You know, I wasn't sure if I was like closing off pathways or not, but like Adam from uh, Diane podcast he even told me that. Uh, you know, it's like most theories just kind of, you know, it's, he, he's kind of, you know, not one way or the other about him. But like this one just kept him thinking. So I'm I'm just really glad that it's actually worked that way, because, I mean, that's essentially what's been dominating my life. for the best. You know, like uh, what I, I think this this whole thing is basically 10 months of me like poking at it over and over, like trying to trying to collect in everything that I could. And like it just still keeps going. But I mean. Yeah, as far as I can tell, the the Twin Peaks is basically just like a repeating cycle over and over in different you know permutations or whatever, and um, you know it's like each single character like you can you, know, you can see how their energy is working and yeah. um, flowing. I was gonna say in your in your first uh, part, you know, I love this diagram of of Frost and Lynch 
and their interpretations of Twin Peaks, and then they kind of meet in in the middle with with the script. I think was that your diagram? Did you come up yes. with that? I think that was that's a great way to look at it. Cause, yeah. Because you're always you always have fans who saying, oh, it's Lynch's vision, and oh, and Mark yeah. Frost's version doesn't count because he wrote a book and he didn't get Lynch's mm-hmm. permission or didn't get it didn't work on it. But to actually show that it's like, oh no, this is both of these collaborating together and they meet through the season three script. I think yeah. that's that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. You know, it's like everybody's confused, or like just in general. It's like there's the people that are like, Audrey was in the real world. Audrey was in the lodge. You know, uh, the, the whole thing's a dream or, you know, the whole thing's definitely in reality. And like I just absolutely think that it is like just both of those things at the same time in the same space in the same scene. Mm. And like it really does come down to the fact that like Lynch is all about his meditation and uh, you know he doesn't really care about like psychoanal- psychoanalysis or anything like that. And Frost is all about his Jungian perspective and like you know pretty much like the other end of the fence from where from where Lynch is. And like I think when they did build the uh, the season three script, like they were doing that same thing. Okay, so the quote from the uh, Starpix trading cards that's in here is: uh, Mark Frost says, "I would sit at the keyboard, and David would sit in a comfy chair, and we would go back and forth. You throw your minds up toward the ceiling, and they meet somewhere near the light fixtures. The script becomes written by a third party. The author is someone called Lynch Frost." Mm. And I really think that. That's just always been baked into the show. There's always been two whole worlds going on at the same time. Totally. And um, in season three, they just totally capitalized on that. And uh, season three script is like basically, I mean, like if if anything's, you know, the, the Laura orb of the <laughs> of the pre-production season three script is it. Oh, yeah. And then, and then Frost went off with like what he made of the script into his two books and Lynch uh, went off with what he thought of the script in season three. And, you know, it's like they both know they're different people. Yeah. They both know that they've got a couple of commonalities that they really wanted to hammer home. And that, um, you know, Lynch, he'll do like all the all his uh, all his mood and dreaminess. And uh, Frost will do all his, you know, crazy world building. And, um, you know, it's like it'll it'll mix in the pot. And then they take what they want and make what they want of it. And, you know, it doesn't matter if they even necessarily get along. I mean, I know they do up to a certain point, but, mm. you know, like they're never both going to agree. So, like, right there, you've got two opposing viewpoints that actually coexist really, really well. Definitely. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually think season one is the same way in some ways. Yeah. You have Lynch, who was really into Cooper's dream, and then Mark yep. Frost yeah, interpreting that and actually making it into a logical sense that, oh, those are actually the curtains from Jacoby's lo- you know, uh, log cabin and using mm-hmm. logical stuff. But they, they kind of work so well together, that dreamy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I basically assume like with the way – with the way Twin Peaks is so fractal, just in general, that I mean, you can apply that to there's a time stream and there's lodge space. I mean, that's pretty much the metaphor right there. Like, it all comes from the themes and like you know how it all started and how they probably just work together. <laughs> totally. And these articles, how did you decide they were going to be five parts? Like, how do you divide that up? And <laughs> is it something where, like, <laughs> I know I'm done with this part, I move on? Or do you say, oh, I need to be able to say all this stuff before I can really get into the meat of, of what you're talking about? Or how do you, yeah, how do you do that? 
I had absolutely no idea how to do it, actually. I mean, the uh, editorial folks up at 25 Years Later site, I mean, they're the ones who helped actually figure out how it needed to get separated. Wow. So, you know, it's like I, I basically needed a Dwayne Dunham to tell me how it needed to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they, they figured out that, you know, it'd be a neat little five uh, five segment thing. And, like, I wasn't sure because I thought it needed to be a two thing. You wow. know, it's like how the world is shaped. <laughs> oh, Twin Peaks boys, you don't know the danger you caused. Remember when you so kindly asked me to guest host your podcast for a year-end silly talk show? Well, remember, you hardwired a line right to my computer. Anytime I want, I can interrupt. The precious Twin Peaks Unwrapped podcast. <laughs> you didn't imagine that I would use it. You thought, oh, just whenever you need Scott to come out and dance like a monkey, he'll dance like a monkey. Well, this time I'm picking the tune, boys. I am here to let everyone know that issue 9 is ready for pre-order. This issue will have a special mystery guest. Oh, do you wish I would tell? Well, I'm not going to tell, because I'm in charge. It's a mystery guest. If I tell, it's no longer a mystery. We have a new essay by John Thorne, where he will revisit his controversial dream theory from Firewalk With Me. Now he's updated it with season three. Do you wish you could read it? Well, you can. Subscribe now at bluerosemag.com. Oh, I see how you are. You need more? Well, there is more. We have an interview with Robert Broski. This is the water. And this is the well. Yeah, him. He's in there. Courtney Stallings. She covers the UK Fest and a special look at the Double R Club. We have a look at the Australian Twin Peaks Convention. Oh, yes, we do. We have more. We have much more. And I'm not going to tell you any more until more people subscribe. A subscription will keep us alive. <laughs> for about, you know, almost 9,000 words, and then how the characters interact in that world for another 9,000. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they, they saved you some, uh, some eye burn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love the the timeline, the first loop, the second loop, the third loop, mm -hmm. um, Lodge Space. I mean, this is something, when season three first aired, some mm -hmm. of us, including myself, I was constantly toying with the idea of Cooper's Odyssey with, you know, Cooper's not really there. He's somewhere else and he needs to get through and this is not happening. This is happening in a different landscape. This is happening in a like a, another space, you know, and I didn't yeah. know how to put that into words, but I'm reading this and it makes a lot of sense to me. When you explain it this way, it, it plays out that way. You're like, yes. Like the whole time I'm reading this going, yes, yes. This is like, <laughs> my brain hurts, but this is exactly, this is like beyond what I would, what I was thinking, but I love those layers. It, it's like a layered cake, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, well, the, I mean, the whole freaking show is, I mean, it's, it's crazy how much they pack into it. And I mean, the fact that the fact that like, I can construct this metaphor, like that's this in- intricate and it actually kind of works. <laughs> I mean, like that's a testament to like how multi-interpretationalist this whole thing is. Mm. And, and, and yeah, you're um, writing, I give yourself credit here. I mean, and the way you explain this is, I, I think it's, it's, it's like so detailed and so well written that. It makes sense. Like someone could come up with all this. Like if I did, I don't know. People are like, "Are you on drugs, Brian? Like, what are you writing?" <laughs> but like, th- I mean, give yourself some credit here. Your writing is unbelievable, and I mean, it really it captures your, the imagination definitely. And it, like John Thorne's work, it really ignites the uh, the old Twin Peaks brain cells there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, I definitely appreciate it. Do you want to go into more detail about this? Like, I mean, I'm I'm definitely intrigued with the in between states that that you talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so basically, in um, in part one, I talk about how there is an in between state, and that season three is basically in between the timeline and Lodge space. It used to be that there really were just the two states. You know, it's like you know you're. Uh, seasons one and two and even Firewalk with me. I mean, although Firewalk with me kind of like splits the difference here and there, <laughs> you know, it's like all the original Twin Peaks stuff is kind of like in a, in an actual timeline. And then I think season three kind of just gets messed up and it sort of becomes its own state of reality. like once Dale enters the lodge and starts his time loose. Hmm. And I mean, I understand that, you know, time loops, maybe they're not actually real, (laughs) Hmm. but I'm absolutely going with the fact that they are. And I can see like how it's real. And I also don't believe in multiple timelines. So it's like, how do these timeline, I mean, how, how do these time loops actually interact with the timeline that really that's, that was my, uh, x to solve for in this algebra problem was like how do the time loops uh actually work with a single timeline and i think uh i mean this is as good an answer as i'm ever going to get for it so there's a timeline there's a lodge space there's this in-between state that kind of formed when dale went into the lodge okay so before i really break down this middle state i want to explain like what the time loops actually are the first time loop is it future or is it past those moments with philip gerard that is the beginning of a time loop the first loop is basically almost exactly adjacent to the timeline so like while dale's in there this is when Apple Cooper is basically like making his fortune and all that stuff. And um, kind of like what we all were sort of talking about before season three came out, you know, like when we were worried about like who the mayor was going to be, things like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's basically what I think is taking place during the first loop. Oh, yeah. Like Hawk going up to the curtains when he's on the same page as Margaret, as he mm-hmm. says on the phone. Yeah, yeah that, that's all part of the first loop you know that's where the glass box first gets made all that kind of stuff and what happens after a certain point dale like listens to laura uh whisper in his ear uh she says you can go out now and he doesn't and then he um he instead uh listens to philip gerard you know saying is a future is a past and then you know like you can't go out until he comes in and all that so he basically chooses that he chooses that over you can go out now Mm. and that sort of starts 
where the curtains go. And, um, you know, there's just blackness behind the curtains except for the white horse. And then suddenly he's back in front of Philip Gerard. And Philip Gerard says, is it future or is it past? That's the beginning of the second loop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is like part two still. So essentially in part two, we've got Dale leaving through non-existence, then living as Dougie, ending with all that superhero stuff at the sheriff's station. It's the only loop that mentions Judy, an unofficial version, or any plan between Briggs, Cooper, or Cole. Uh, it's also the only loop that contains Sarah Palmer as a possessed woman, uh, experiment, experiment model, or the fireman and Dido sending a Laura Orb into the world through a junction point. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, the third loop that starts, it basically starts after Dale goes back in time and tries to rescue Laura from the fire walk with me flashback. And, you know, she screams and then he's back in the lodge. Is a future or is a past? So this is where the beginning of the third loop happens. And that's, you know, the dark world where, like, essentially there are waitress, two elderly people, uh, three, three cowboys, uh, Dale... Uh, Laura Carey and the owner of the house of what used to be the Palmer house. I mean, as far as I know, that might be the only people that are populating this world. Mm. Wow. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all unprovable, but as far as I'm concerned, that's the dream that's essentially um, taking over because I, I think what's essentially happening is the second loop, w which is the bulk of the plot of season three, is asserting itself slowly over season one and then like throughout the second loop we've got the third loop asserting itself on top of the second loop when um when carrie screams at the very end then it begins the fourth loop because then it goes back to the lodge for the credits where uh, laura is whispering to dale again yeah yep it kind of reminds me a little bit of these layers, um, these loops, when this season was airing in real time and people mm -hmm. were saying, you know, I feel like if you play these episodes <laughs> over each other, the scene when, um, I forget her name, but she's crawling during the uh, the band's performance. Yeah, yeah Ruby? Yeah, Ruby. Yeah. Now, and she starts screaming. Yeah, and then that's ex almost exactly the same scene with with uh, with uh, Dougie uh, Dougie walking towards the plug, and he he shoves yeah. the fork and screams. Right, and there's other scenes that people have brought up that they mm -hmm. mimic each other, which is yeah. very interesting. So mm -hmm. it kind of goes with what you're saying. Yeah, with the cycles repeating and like the patterns just repeating ad infinitum to like with everybody. Yeah. 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 As far as the reason why I think um, the loops are um, like basically overlapping over time, there's that exchange between Margaret and Hawk. What is it? Uh, she says, Hawk, electricity is humming. You hear it in the mountains and rivers. You see it dance among the seas and stars and glowing around the moon. But in these days, the glow is dying. What will be in the darkness that remains? The Truman brothers are both true men. They are your brothers. And the others. The good ones who have been with you. Now the circle is almost complete. Watch and listen to the dream of time and space. It all comes out now 
flowing like a river. That which is and is not. Fuck. Laura is the one. And you can kind of see right there, like the way she talks in code. I mean, it's it's almost plain here. Watch and listen to the dream of a time and space. It, mm. it all comes out at you now, flowing like a river. So basically, like the loops asserting themselves over the other loop um, mm. is, is the river that's coming toward Margaret and Hawk. And it gets progressively darker because Cooper keeps getting a little bit closer to being like logy instead of timeline oriented as he goes like he gets further removed from people like even even what i was saying about how few people are in the remaining episode you know it's like it seems like he's getting further away like his energy is getting less attached to the world where it's supposed to be i i think that that margaret and hawk scene is like absolutely important to the show just in general and i think that's about as good an explanation as any can be it also talks about a choice like another thing like why i keep thinking that you know energy is supposed to be going toward the timeline but not lot space and that's like there's a choice to be made that uh that which is and is not and then she says laura is the one and um i know uh oh boy <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pamela Terazic, I did not actually check her uh, last name for pronunciation, but like, she was over at the Between Two Worlds Facebook group, and she was talking about that um, if Laura is the one, that that could very well refer to that which is and is not. And if Laura is the one that is, that means that Carrie is the one that is not. Mm -hmm. That would mean that Laura and her death, you know, the, the thing that Cooper basically try to remove at the end of the series, uh, you know, that makes everybody say, oh, is the original timeline erased? You know, does it exist anymore? Yeah. You know, it's like, that. no, that that isn't. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that thing that is not is the thing that makes, like, the original Twin Peaks irrelevant. Because it doesn't, and it can't. And um, Laura being the one that is... I don't know. It's it's like, I mean, th there's that esoteric Buddhism model that I was talking about, like the energy that does flow between the two states, the material state and the non-material state. I'm calling the material state the timeline and the non-material state lodge space. Mm -hmm. It flows that way because we are human beings and our part of the ecosystem is to flow our energy through the timeline until we die basically and then we move our energy over to live space hmm. yeah. or or the non-material <laughs> you know that that's that's why there's a value judgment even though both of these states have to exist in harmony in order to keep existing interesting uh, yeah it's a lot yeah. it's a lot to take in I it mean, is it, <clears throat> and i kind of see um the you know the whole ending part uh mm. with the energy you know i always saw this as Cooper's trying to change or save and mm -hmm. she, when he turns she screams and she disappears so I, f I felt like did she disappear? yeah like well she, he turns around and she's not there right and he hears a scream in no, the woods no she's there oh oh I'm sorry when, when they're walking talking? I'm sorry when he's taking her hand into the woods oh yes 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 yes. so she disappears and I kind of feel like that's one layer of him trying to change things but it's not going to happen because it happened mm -hmm. and then like you're saying this other loop or other layer mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. is Carrie Page. You missed one more loop. Well, one more well, thing to, what? I want to say, and the, only, the other thing, I mean, just to go on to that too, is remember Carrie, I mean, Carrie, Laura and Cooper are in the lodge, is it part uh-huh. two? Yeah. And she she screams and disappears into the air yes. at the same time. So you have yeah. that, and then you have the woods, and then yes. we have at the very the end. end. And those screams could all be parallel. Right. That, what do you think of that, John? I know this is not part of your... Uh, your we're, adding <laughs> we're adding to it. <laughs> it's part of uh, Electricity Nexus number 21. Or <laughs> 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 this that's kind of like the number zero of this whole mess. Oh. Yeah, it, it, it definitely exists in the same theory space. And I just kind of think of those screams as basically Laura not wanting to be a part of this. And like she's hmm. trying to claim her agency. She's like, you cannot... It, this happened to me. I wish it didn't. But it happened, and you cannot you, you cannot steer my life and my energy. Like you have to understand that it happened and work through it, not remove it. Screams uh, in general, uh, when when people scream, when okay, uh, so <laughs> further on in the theory, I'm basically saying like there's a cycle of energy that happens with people, and then trauma cuts off that energy, and then there's a period of stagnation in the middle, mm-hmm. which where I think pretty much every single character within season three is in that state, just like Dougie. You know, it's like whatever Cooper's in, everybody around him is in kind of a similar stasis period. Mm. Or, you know, if he, if his energy is starting up, then, like, other people can, too. It seems like people that understand that their energy is starting, like when Dale put his fork in the uh, in the socket, like, he didn't scream. It was Janie E. that screamed. Mm. And, um, Lucy screamed when um, when Frank Truman came in, and she didn't understand. And Carrie, I think, screamed because like she knew that there was something, but she couldn't understand it at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. And like it's it's basically people's energy starting up again, but it's directionless. Like you haven't just because your energy started doesn't mean that you've chosen a direction to send it. Like you're mm. still kind of in stasis for a little while because like, like Lucy, she screamed in part four, but she didn't really make the decision and understand cell phones and all that until she, uh, she literally shot a force of darkness in Doppelkuber, like in, in part 17. So that's like what? 12 parts difference. Like that, <laughs> That's how long it took. And, like, you know, she, she did things, you know, like she uh, bought a chair, like, for the study because Wally Brando released her from needing to maintain the past just the way it used to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it can start moving forward. So, like, that's another step of energy being able to start moving. So, like, she does that. Uh, she, like, holds up her hand and, you know, I, on her lunch break saying, like, I need my space. You know, like, she's, yeah. <laughs> she's taking, you know, like, self-care and all that stuff. And, you know, it, it takes a little while before you can decide to you know, have a positive spin or a negative spin. I mean, it, it took me like, what, what, like a year and a half before I came to the conclusion I did for this whole thing. You know, it's like, it, it takes a while to absorb things before you can just decide, you know, it's not like, you know, like, oh, you know, the conclusion happened now, now we just know things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to grow into things. Yeah. So like, I, I think just in general, like, you know, the, Laura screaming at the end and in the lodges and everything. I I kind of feel like that's uh, Laura asserting control of the situation. Like even though she doesn't quite comprehend what's going on, I mean, like you know, she she was doing this in the diary, and it's like she was trying to control 
her own situation, like whenever she could, trying mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, stop forces outside of her control from, you know, from basically ruining her life. Yeah. And I, this is just like par for the course for her. I mean, you know, it's like something is messing with her energy and something is making something like incredibly wrong happen. And like, even though she doesn't understand it, she pulls herself out of it anyway. And I think that's basically like her, even though, even though she already died, like, you know, like whatever leftover energy that like turned her into a tulpa or whatever it is, the, the memory of her basically says, I want no part of this, this in-between loop I have chosen. What you're saying is makes me think of one thing. Mm-hmm. If, Co- if Cooper is, mm-hmm. we, we know how fire walk with me ends and ha- that's how I always saw the ending is that Angels and the angel, Cooper there. Yeah. yeah, Cooper. And like, she, you know what? They never met. But he mm-hmm. helped her beyond the grave, and she can move on. Yeah. So then they now, dreams. Yeah, and <laughs> dreams. But now in season three, what you're saying makes me think that, in a way, Cooper can't let it go, and she's trying to escape him. That the yeah. fact that he he's <clears throat> trying to say, "Come with me," and she's like, mm-hmm. "No, I I already I'm good. Leave me alone." Yeah. And then at the end, Carrie Page. We can take a hard left turn here and say this whole Carrie Page stuff is her escaping. And then Cooper comes back trying to remind her of all these things. And she does not. She wants to move on. And Brian, he can't move Brian, on. you can't go home yeah. again. Yeah. You can't go <laughs> can't home go again. again. <laughs> you can't go back to the, the Palmer home again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like, so in a weird way, he's, I'm not going to say the bad guy, but he's the... The past that won't let it go, and she's—he's yeah. a roadblock. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, he's, he's just. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a. I, you exactly. know, I never thought about it that way till just now. So see that? it's, that's, it's John's work. I know. It gets you thinking. But John, in, I think maybe it was part five of his. You were saying that in some ways that uh, Carrie is waking up Cooper, possibly, right? By, through her yes. screams, you're, you're seeing that. I'd love to elaborate on that because I've always looked at it as Carrie waking up, or maybe she's realizing the trauma. That's yeah. Around her. But I, I'm interested in the, in the in the angle that maybe Cooper is waking up. Well, they both are. It's just I think he um, he started to wake up when he put the fork in the socket. Yeah. And like, he thought that he was going in the right direction by, you know, having somebody basically remove Bob from the equation. And then he was going to remove Laura's death from the equation. And, you know, it's like, you know, he, he thinks, you know, like that that's going to do it. And, you know, he's helper guy. He's he's everybody's golden shovel. And, um, you know, he's going to he's going to just take on the world and you know, just make it a better place. Like, you know, good intentions, but like completely misguided. Mm. And um, it's because his energy, I mean, it started to move, but like it, it just wasn't quite ready to do <laughs> what it did. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of think of to go all the way to the end. I mean, I essentially think that Dale Cooper uh, or oh boy. <laughs> mm. Okay, so um, maybe not all the way to the end. <laughs> so, uh, in in part four specifically, I, I talk about like how characters are supposed to navigate from this between spot. You know, it's like how do people actually choose the timeline? How do people uh, choose lot space? You know, and like basically, there's a section in Final Dossier that Margaret talks about. There are travelers and there are passengers, and basically, like passengers are people that are proactively living and like you know they they want to help people Mm -hmm. and they want to use their energy to grow light 
and um, passengers, like they just end up kind of being stuck in darkness because like they don't end up using their energy and they stagnate. And um, instead of pushing through, they just kind of get devoured by the dark. That is essentially like, I think what happens to people like Stephen and Gerstmann, you know, like that essentially is what Sarah Palmer almost actively chooses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like she's the only one who actively seems to go in that direction. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like it, it's just like there, there's you, you either go one way or the other. And, um, I mean, we, we could probably double around uh, <laughs> to all of that in general, but yeah. um, the gist of it in, in terms of Cooper, I think, is that there there's a path that, that everybody takes. And Cooper's is essentially, you know, it's like he, he has his, his regular path. Uh, everything was going great. Uh, season one, season two of Twin Peaks. And then right when he entered the lodge, that's like his moment of trauma where his energy like just gets cut off and it starts spinning in place rather than proceeding as normal. He needs to kind of recalibrate and push his way through and he kind of starts to do it. I think every character ends up having a breakthrough as well. And, um, oh man, <laughs> no, I'm getting caught up in all of the other characters. Yeah. Uh, this is why it took me 10 months to write this thing. <laughs> Explain one thing. You got to have like four books on everything else. First. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so, um, so Dale, like his moment of breakthrough, I think is when Carrie doesn't understand what he was trying to give her, you know, he, he was trying to give her like some kind of closure or whatever, or maybe, yeah. maybe the way time loops work, you know, it's like he, um, he remembers, uh, that he was going to bring, uh, Laura home to the white lodge portal, you know, like whatever home meant to him then. And then, like, maybe he got confused when he got looped again into the third one as, you know, he's, like, kind of removing further and further from the timeline. And um, he thinks home is like, oh, I know where her home is. And <laughs> he takes her to to the other home. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I, I don't I don't really understand, like, why he made the decision to do it. But basically, I mean, you know, he's, he's misguided and um, he thought it was going to work. And his moment of breakthrough that it wasn't going to work was when he says, what year is this? You know, it's yeah, like that's yeah. that's when things really started to uh, go wonky. And that's when it looped back to uh, Laura whispering to him eventually. I mean, that I think that helped trigger Carrie's scream. Yeah. Mm. But it's not him waking up Carrie exactly. Like, not actively. It's like, you know, his his realization kind of it, it sort of woke up Carrie but not in a way that she could quite understand yet which is why she's still in the lodge with him in the final conclusion because I think if she woke up she wouldn't have been there to whisper into his ear he would have just been sitting there alone huh. interesting no matter what it seemed like it was a failed attempt and it seems like yeah. that brings on maybe a loop that you do yeah. something and yeah. then you're I, yeah, and I've always assumed that Cooper brought uh, Carrie, Laura, to the house to confront Sarah Palmer in some ways. I just assumed that that was going to be the big end, that you were going to have Sarah Palmer meet Laura. And, you know, I feel like Sarah Palmer has, you know, done, has done has her own sins and that she wasn't mm -hmm. there to protect her daughter. When well, she yeah. Came. Now, to go back, I'm, I'm glad you brought Sarah Palmer up. I want to just circle back to her, um, sure. John. Um, her breakthrough... Like, mm -hmm. I want to know, 
what you think her breakthrough is. Because, like, we see her smashing that photo. So we, yeah. I, I feel, obviously, she had a breakthrough of some sort. Mm-hmm. But what triggered it? Was it going to the bar? Was it being assaulted by this guy? Well, like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, because she didn't choose to... She basically didn't choose a life. So... I I think she just finally caved in under the pressure. I mean, I think it's it's all cumulative. Like all the help, yeah, all the all the help in Twin Peaks is basically cumulative. Like, um, oh my gosh, I can't even think of everything that happened. Like um, to get Dougie home to Janie E, you know, like meeting one of his one of Dougie's friends to basically say a red door, uh, Camelot Court, or whatever the road were, uh, Lancelot. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's like he got his friend to do that. I mean, the lodge basically had to give him, you know, the payouts. You know, so, like, you know, he had a little bit of help from Philip Gerard with the little lodge symbols on the on the jackpots. He got help from his friend. He got help from the uh, the floor, the floor attendant, Jackie, to get him to the uh, to the guy who would actually pay him the money. Mm. Um, and then, like, he needed help getting home. So they got him a limo to get him home. <laughs> You know, it's like there, there's all these tiny little steps just to get him to the door. Yeah, that's true. From like so many different people. And, and like this happens all the freaking time in this season. You know, it's like it's it's all just like a little bit of help here and there from everybody. You know, Cooper bringing Carrie home to like get her to the point of screaming. I mean, that was helping Carrie and Laura to basically realize like where she really was. But like it, it, it still didn't quite push her all the way over. What, what I was saying about um, about the Vegas stuff, I mean, what that did was it got money home to basically make Janie forgive Dougie for all the debt that mm-hmm. like made their life a living hell. And then from that point, she started like gradually getting warmer to him because, you know, like she, you know, like when, when they slept together, all that stuff, you know, it's like, you know, just like the love from her <laughs> and um the co-worker of Dougie who like let him into the bathroom. I mean, you know, it's like all, all these little tiny steps, like getting, you know, getting Cooper to the point of like, you know, like he, he was being nourished by all like the love and the help from everybody. And eventually, um, you know, like he was, you know, he, he was getting cake and, uh, watching TV and uh, <laughs> the, the TV told him Gordon Cole, yeah. you know, everything was helping him toward this one thing of waking himself up and then you know the twin peaks uh, theme kicks in like in the hospital and like yeah you can hear like everything was like bringing him back to the timeline and like you know the mm. the peaks music is a total tell for that as far as i'm concerned like yeah. anytime for an old theme it's like somebody getting really close to being in tune with the actual timeline so you're saying all this that he's yeah. being helped the whole time, and it makes me think of the oh, the very I think part one, the very beginning, black and white. You have Cooper mm-hmm. and the fireman uh, giant yeah. there, and yep. Cooper's like, "I got it." Like I understand everything mm-hmm. you're saying, even though it's cryptic. You know, yeah. Linda and Richard, uh, da da da. I got it. And in my head, like after watching the whole. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole series three. I just yeah. I thought okay, while he's in the coma, that's where he goes to the giant and he has that conversation. Like he was electrocuted, but I don't know where it really belongs. But it's interesting that like, it seems like at that point in the black and white that he know he understands, and then he wakes up in a coma mm-hmm. and he seems like he gets it. But like, how can we go from all these babysits, somebody taking care of him, <laughs> and then he seems like he's just got it and he's totally wrong. <laughs> like he's, he's he totally messes up still. 
Well, because it, it takes, I mean, it's just little pebbles leading to where he really needs to be. Yeah. And he's just not there yet. Right. And I, I guess in some ways it seems like it's almost like Cooper's reborn and he's a baby mm-hmm. and he's got to take his first steps. And he's, yeah. <laughs> and maybe as an as, adolescent, you have to screw up before you do the right thing. So. And he really wouldn't know what was going on. Once he wakes up, he wants to go back to Twin Peaks. But yeah. the last time we saw him, he was in Twin Peaks. So, like, for him, maybe that state of mind is still back then. It's not in the now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's still stuck in the past. Yeah. He hasn't quite woken up yet. You know, he doesn't understand cell phones yet. That's true. Yeah. And I still think about, like, so if there's loops or whatnot, there's that one thing where he's he's back in the red room and he's, like, mm-hmm. right, he, he's about to leave and he just waves his hand and it opens up the curtains. Yeah. So he's a magician. Like, he, he, he now has yeah. full understanding and now it's almost like we're going from episode 29 – to right mm-hmm. there. It's almost like he's just like, okay, he's out of the... Ra- like, you yeah. almost forget everything that happened in season three and just start off with him getting out. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah that's the beginning yeah. of the third loop when he feels yeah. like he knows it it's like, yeah. it's like one of those, uh, the, the back of a Mad magazine, and you're looking <laughs> yeah. at the whole picture, and Dougie's in the middle, and then when you fold the two flaps in, it all disappears yep. and gives you a new image. Yes. Yeah. And all it disappears. Yes. Yep. And John, I don't think you covered. Did you cover? Did you talk about Richard? How does Richard? And I, I don't even need to talk about Linda, but just Richard. How does he fit into all this? When you say Richard, do you mean Horn or do you mean? I'm sorry. Ryan? I mean, I mean Cooper. Cooper. I guess. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I mean Cooper as as Richard. At least that's what uh, Diane is now calling herself, Linda. And Linda she's now Richard. Saying, yeah. I wrote like the the October after the show and like I basically dove into like how I don't think that's a unified Cooper in the most in the most literal sense. You know, it's like technically he's got both of his halves, but he's calibrating. You know, it's like he's not he's not unified in the way that like it should be. It's like, you know, he's 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 basically like a rebuilt car with like all the parts, but like everybody forgot to tighten up everything so like you know it's just running really off that that's just kind of what i think of with part 18 because you know it's like it it's sort of close but you know like he's he's very much an alien about things you know it's like even though he's like sort of concerned about taking the guns away from the bad guys you know it's like he still like points it at the elderly people before he puts it in a fryer where the bullets you know it's like he, he he just wants to stop problem but he's not really concerned about the collateral damage yeah Mm. interesting so yeah it's like he's almost the cooper that we remember but you know he's just not there yet and you know again just like everything else it takes time (laughs) so what do you hope people get out of it i mean there's a lot i mean i definitely recommend going to 25 years later site and and reading all these parts and stuff but what do you hope that people got out of this oh man i um (laughs) that's a loaded question (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like I I think most of all like I want to make sure that everybody understands that there's like a huge plan that Jacoby is basically describing for everybody. Like that's that's a lot of where I'm getting all this uh this help and whatnot from is from the Dr. Amp stuff. You know, mm. like a lot of people think it's just there for fluff, but it was the first real world story that we get, you know. It's like they, they show the truck driving up slowly with the parts of the shovel. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's true, yeah. And then, you know, we find out that Dr. Jacoby's on the other end, and then there's boxes. 
So like that's that's kind of a parallel. I and I basically like I, I've got all kinds of like picture charts of like word salad that all kind of mirror each other and there's five parts, which is really it's kind of cool because like my five part theory actually matches really well with all this. And like, it wasn't even intentional. It just kind of, just kind of fell into it that way. Like even, even, even the theory structure like works with the theory, (laughs) but yeah. So like the, the very first scene of the shovels arriving, that's like, that matches up with like original season one and season two. And, um, the next thing we see is, uh, like the the next scene from a further episode down the road, we get to see Jacoby like painting the shovels and everything, and that could even match up with how trauma just stops people in their tracks. Interpersonal alchemy is a thing that's uh, that Frost specifically equates with Doctor Amp and the Golden Shovels. You know, it's like the the you know shovel yourself out of your shit is basically like trauma happened to you. You need to fortify yourself. It needs two coats of gold. And then you can, like, once you get those two coats, you can start basically using this shovel if you accept the shovel. That can apply to pretty much everybody. Like, most people are kind of in that point in between when he's spraying and before we see the advertisement with the shovel. You know, it's like, you, you kind of wonder, like, because, like, as viewers, we see these things, yeah. and then we see him painting the painting the sho- or spraying the shovels, and like we're like, oh, good. What's it good for? You know, it's like, is it for <laughs> for this? Is it for that? I mean, it was a huge point of contention. Like everybody kind of had their own ideas what it was, and then like you know, it, then you see the commercial, and you go like, oh my god, it's for that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> And Nadine walks over with the shovel in hand to tell uh, Dr. Amp, the Jacoby, you know, I'm going to, you know, basically like I'm letting you go to Big Ed. You're talking Big Ed, right. Yeah. I'm going to let you go. She's shoveling herself out of her own shit. And literally you're seeing her with the shovel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, But that we see another rant of Jacoby and then another rant of Jacoby with another shovel commercial. And then, like, that's the second time I saw the commercial uh, when we were first watching this. I thought, like, oh, God, I think there's something to this. <laughs> mm. yeah. you know? We're sheep to these monsters, and they don't give a shit. We grow our wool, and just when we're getting warm, they come along with their electric clippers and shear our wool off. And we're just naked, screaming little fucks. No wool for us. Freezing and hungry. In the night, in the dark, and they don't give a shit. Then, when we get sick, the pharmaceutical companies make billions. They own the fucking hospitals, filled to the brim. They own the morgues. They own the embalming fluids. They own the mortuaries, the graveyards. These fucks. Is it the government's business who we marry? What the fuck do we care what the government thinks about who we marry? Are we going to invite them to the wedding? Fuck no! Oh, they wouldn't come anyway. They're they're too busy fucking. Fucking us at the grocery store, at the bank, at the gas pump. They're feeding our children chemical shit coated in sugar. Why don't these monsters bite into those tasty treats themselves? Because they'll die in the streets, just like us. And then they'll bloat like a big red fucking balloon. Stop! Stop 
distracting yourself with all this diverting bullshit. And pay attention. Save the children. Every parent wants to save their child. Buy yourself a shovel. Dig yourself out of the shit and get educated. He's so beautiful. I don't think it's just a gag. Yeah, it's a, or I mean, I, I kind of had an idea that it, there wasn't just a gag anyway, because I read Secret History before the show. So, like, I, I kind of assumed that, like, there was some kind of code in it, just like there was in the Wally Brando thing referencing Lewis and Clark. Yeah, so, like, I, I was just kind of on the, on the watch for, like, what the comedic characters were actually trying to convey for theme. So, like, I, I was always sort of aware that, like, there's probably something to Jacoby, but, like, I wasn't quite sure what. And then, like, the second time that commercial ran, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, you're supposed to, like, actually do this. Like, you know, it's not, it's just not a gag. It's like, yeah. you know, like, you are supposed to think about it. And you're supposed to wait, you know, a couple episodes between the first time you hear the concept and before you're actually able to, like, really absorb what the message is supposed to be. And, like, again, it's just like everything else, you know. It's like, you know, time and repetition. Like, that's the only way to like actually like get the interpersonal alchemy to evolve yourself and um you know shovel yourself out of your shit yeah because like you, you have to understand what your shit is before you can shovel it yeah right yeah, it's true i was thinking of the gold uh yeah do it spraying it twice there in some ways mm -hmm. it's like take care of yourself take care of yourself and whether that whatever that be is like you need to take care of yeah I I kind of got that I yeah think. it's interesting Nadine really doesn't come to see Big Ed until she physically sees Jacoby I think anyway he, yeah. he has this message yeah. but he has to go out of his his show and actually physically be there one on one to talk about yeah. something that he, she finally like okay I I really get it now I really I mean like, I gotta let Ed go because yeah. I, I like someone else Maybe he she likes someone Jacoby, else right? yeah I but think still she I think she's realizing it. I think in general that matches with like how like I in part three of this theory, I have like a whole bunch of different ways that like object permanence really comes into play to anchor both lodge space and timeline into this middle state. And I think just in general, that also applies to the interpersonal alchemy angle. You know, it's not just for like how reality is structured. It's for how you're supposed to evolve you know, Lucy, here's the thermostat or like, you know, she's like, how does the thermostat work when nobody's here to watch it? Like, does it work? <laughs> you know, and, and like, you know, it's, it's, it's a theme all the way through. And like, you know, it has, has Nadine actually figured out her stuff or hasn't she? And like, it took, it took like meeting her hero to reinforce the fact that, uh, you know, to make object permanence out of her change state because like somebody else recognized her change and therefore it stuck. It became part of reality because somebody else noticed it. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with the glass box, really. I mean, you know, like Cooper, Cooper came through when Sam wasn't even in the room. And like, you know, that, that's what Sam's job was, was to stare at the box to be there for things. Yeah. So it became real. And then when he was there, it was uh, experiment. So, like, you know, like the, I don't pretend to like absolutely know the reason why object permanence is massively important, but it totally works. Like every single time you can think about it, you know, it's like somebody needs to reinforce something for it to actually stick. 
And you give other examples, but it seems like the whole town is is in trauma or they're dealing with their own shit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. of course, love Norma. But stuck in between the first coat and the second coat. Yeah. yeah. And they all come out of it. Some, their energy. I don't know they've all come out of it, but, I mean, it's 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 – some of them seem like they're, they're yeah they're working through it now. So mm-hmm. let's go to the one. This is where this fascinates me. Um, my favorite my favorite part of this is talk about the music performances and the um, you know oh, the roadhouse the roadhouse because okay um, this is the end of part four right yeah part four okay. and uh, yeah I think it's part four yep it's interesting because okay. On a on a TV viewer level, I'm just going to start off this way. I'm like, okay, well, this is this is nothing that new. You know, you can go back in The Sopranos. You can go back to a lot of TV shows. Uh, yeah. The Leftovers. They pick a song that capsulates that episode and they end it with it. That's mm-hmm. nothing new. A lot of shows have been doing that, and I love it. But then, what Lynch did is take a different approach. Yeah, we can do the same thing, but we're gonna do a live. Perfor- we're gonna do a performance in yeah. front of an audience, mm-hmm. and we're gonna make it even yeah. s- more special. Then it gets deeper because then you add, you sprinkle in these weird characters that we will never see again, talking yeah. about other characters we have no idea. It's a soap opera aspect of it, though. but is it? I, I think your your thing. Proves it's deeper than that. I, I I always felt there was st- like the Jacoby thing with you. I'm like, there's something deeper to this. Yeah. And I think the Audrey episode in particular mm-hmm. gives us because that that's the first time we actually see. Well, I, I can't say that because we we have to see James and Freddie come uh, walk in. You see those three characters and Shelley part of this weird limbo world. And um, where music is playing, and it it's mm-hmm. just bizarre. I mean, explain to everybody your theory behind the sign, the parking lot, you know. Yeah. Luckily, people were on the case before I was, so I, like, sort of started to research it. But, like, I didn't have to get too far to realize that there really was something to it. Yeah, there, there's um, the establishing shots for the roadhouse is there's a parking lot. There's a bang, bang bar sign. There's the bang bang bar sign reflected in a puddle. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's all basically a signifier of what kind of energy we're looking at, and the music kind of falls into this too. If there's a bang bang bar sign, it tunes towards the timeline. So part of this will require the the actual structure of this whole thing. I, I don't even think I said it basically, but like the in between point is essentially like a mirror. the The mirror is between the image and the reflection, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And season three, like with all the themes of three, you know, like the three Fuscos, the three, uh, the the pink girls, you know, like all that stuff. There's like threes all over the place. And this this third state of reality is also a third. So where do you put the third? Right in the middle. It's basically a mirror. If you're looking as the mirror, if you look one direction, you're looking at lot space. And if you're looking at the other direction, you're looking at timeline. And with all the other energy that I was talking about, like the people that are stuck on this actual mirror state, they they toy, like depending on where they're looking, they're toying with sending their energy toward one direction or toward another. I think these uh, these roadhouse randoms are essentially showing us this with illustrations, you know, like basically they're they're showing not telling 
And that's why there's so many different interpretations possible. I basically see that the bang bang bar sign reflection is the sign that it's tuning towards lodge space or Mm -hmm. that the people that we're going to see are like looking toward lodge space or that the energy is going to flow that way. And um, if it's the regular bang bang bar sign without the reflection, then characters or the energy is like sort of flowing toward the timeline. And if the parking lot is involved in the establishing shot, it's basically like you're either going from like in part two, it starts out with the parking lot sign and then it goes to the, uh, the bang bang bar sign. So I think what's happening there is basically you're going from the timeline toward the middle because you get people like Shelly in there. Mm. And, but also the chromatics guitarist has on an L ring. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's not all timeline adjacent. It's like, you know, like this is, this is part two. This is when the first loop is being uh, assert, asserted over by the second loop. And it's kind of like shown in the, the bang bang or in the roadhouse scene at the end. You know, it's like basically like, this is where we were and we're going toward this middle tuning now. You know, depending on your energy, you're tuning toward, you're tuning from the second loop at all times in the roadhouse scenes. Like you're starting in the middle. Yeah. And you're either tuning toward the third loop and on the lodge space or uh, toward the, uh, toward the first loop and then into the timeline. Cause like basically one of my major things is that like, once you do choose which way to go, you're not in the story anymore because you're not in the middle. And that's why we get so many weird in-between scenes, but then, like, nobody acting like a protagonist or an antagonist. You know, it's like once they seem to make a decision, like, we never see them do anything about it. They just disappear. Yeah. So, like, using that as a metaphor, <laughs> or, I mean, as, as, a, as a rule for the metaphor... I I basically see that like these scenes are all these characters that have low stakes issues uh, making a decision about their issues. Yeah. (laughs) You have a disturbance uh, twice um, with James and Freddie, and then you have Mm -hmm. the other disturbance with Audrey. And I mean, I always felt that scene always meant something more. um, Mm -hmm. Part 16 and I'm glad you bring it up in your, your thing because so uh, one thing always stood out to me was the fact that yeah. they don't say Eddie Vedder. They say Edward Lewis mm-hmm. Salverson. And yeah. he's singing out, out, of sand, um, out of Sand, which mm-hmm. lyrically speaks. Out of time. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, now it's gone. I am who <laughs> I am. Who I'll never be again running out of sand kind of speaks to me like Cooper. like Oh, definitely. By the end. And even the next verse, I stare at my reflection to the bone, blurred eyes, look back at me, full of blame and sympathy. And it's like, yes. um, It's interesting. They don't say Eddie Vedder. So you're Mm -hmm. taking that mask off and you're just giving us his, his birth name. But then it's also the same scene with Audrey... Yeah. Finally having her breakthrough, having her trauma. She's going to break through with her trauma, like you've been saying, her energy. And it's the Audrey dance. And then a fight breaks out. And then she wakes up somewhere. And Mm -hmm. that's her. 
it's almost like her carry moment at the very end there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is. Her, uh, well, her carry moment is, I hate you screaming at, uh, Charlie. Like when she screams and, you know, it's like, okay, uh, Nadine, uh, she, um, she never screams, but she has the breakthrough. It's yep. because Dr. Amp was screaming for her. Oh, he was screaming, he's screaming out all this stuff and like shaking up her energy without her needing to. Yeah. Audrey, like her thing to get her going, like to, to finally make it to the roadhouse is basically like she finally just screams and like starts trying to strangle Charlie. And then next next scene we see her in, she's in the roadhouse. Mm-hmm. But just because you have your breakthrough doesn't mean you've chosen positive or negative. I kind of think, um, OK, when when people use their real names or like, you know, their their birth name, like uh, like Eddie Vedder was given in this care in this character. Yeah, um, because Alice Tremond was played by the lady who actually owned the house, Mary Reber. Yep. Um, I'm just kind of associating like anytime we get like real world interference or like, wait a minute, that's like a real thing. Um, that's like an intuitive way to basically say this is another world intruding upon this story's world. Mm. And you know, like, I don't think it's the real world exactly. I just think that's the easiest way for us to just know that there's an intrusion. Gotcha. Like, it's I, in I, our I, house. Yeah. So I, I think of Ed, Eddie Vedder's name as an intrusion of Lodge Space. And like, basically, I think Audrey's been tuned to, to, to the third loop the whole time. Because like the first time we see her is in episode 12. And that's the same one, you know, pre-flashback uh, nuclear bomb and all that. You know, it's yeah. like that, that was like the last vestige of the first loop getting shoved away and in part 12 sarah realizes that something happened to me and like you know she's freaking out in the supermarket but like she understands that a a retuning has happened and that's the same episode when audrey finally shows up so episode seven is the last vestige of the first loop and the first vestige of season three i mean of of, uh loop three asserting itself into the second loop Uh and because of that and her mention of Billy and everything, you know, it's like that there, there are these tells that like she's associated with the third loop mm. and she needs, you know, because she's during Cooper's most delusional moments is in that third loop. You know, it's like, he's not himself. He's like being called Richard by people that he thinks he knows. And, you know, like then they're being called, you know, then they're calling themselves Linda, even though he knows who she is. You know, it's like, there, there's like all these things that are like, disassociated and Audrey being like part of that is why I consider her tuned to third loop because she's like that sort of delusional with kind of like her state of mind is the same as Dale's state of mind at the end. And that's like how people tune their energies. Mm. And in that uh, Audrey yeah. dance, uh, you know, at the end of that episode, yeah. you have the, uh, the band playing backwards too, mm-hmm. which yeah. is very, yeah very red room very uh lodge space kind of feel yeah. to it. i mean yeah but before that they're playing it straight and they're actually calling it audrey's dance which um i i've said it i've already said it even in this conversation but like i i think anytime you see the or the the original twin peaks music you're getting close to the original stuff you know it's like mm. when laura palmer's theme first plays when um when bobby's looking at her at her homecoming photo you know, things like that. Like every time the original music breaks through, that's the timeline breaking through. Mm. And she finally makes it to the roadhouse. The the Edward Lewis Severson 
song is basically about like I've come to an acceptance of things and I may be running out of sand but like you know it's essentially like this message of like you know it's like, I know who I was and I know who I am and you know it's like basically you know it's like you you've you've accepted your fate yeah it might be a good one but you've accepted it and right after that she gets this jolt of season one and two and she goes back to like the way it was and you know it's like she almost feels like it's herself but then there's like that little bit of doubt that creeps in and the infidelity being revealed like by whoever you know the the random people that like broke up you know it's like you know like, you know you're you're cheating on, on you know like you're you're having an affair with my wife or whatever it was that he was saying it, it was something like that and uh, you know they they start a bar brawl while she's dancing that little bit of doubt doubt like you you can't you can only move the needle so far in either direction before you have to go back to starting position ah the arm wrestling I love that. the arm I wrestling love that. and i know yeah, you brought that up in the, uh, uh, previous articles i do love that that is a great uh, oh, yeah. metaphor for everything really isn't it yeah Harry? yeah it's it's all the same metaphor over and over <laughs> way too many levels for any one brain uh, to handle uh, well, <laughs> but you know, like th this is just one of those things, you know, it's like in, in a, in a normal TV show, she would have had her breakthrough. She would have gone back to the timeline. Everything's great. But because she's not quite there yet, she, she could feel the timeline and she almost made it there. And like, she made it back to what's probably actually supposed to be her salon that, uh, Frost talked about in final dossier. Mm. And do we get her voice from, from her in that room? Sort of. We sort of. we get her fixed from the the Audrey in the mirror. You know, mm. like she, she's still fractured. Like even though she can kind of see where she actually is, like she's just not quite able to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Man, oh man, this is like. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. just we scratch the surface here, I but think so I think yeah. I yeah. mean, I really would recommend the listeners go to Twenty Five Years Later site and really dive into this stuff because there's so many great nuggets and it really does make you think and it really yeah. yeah I mean, wow. And this so this is probably this is capping it off for you. You think uh, you, got, you got other theories, but it's going to go in new directions, John? You think? No, I I think basically this is going to be the foundation that I work from from now on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like the, this, because I mean, there's still things that I'm gonna do. Like the next thing I'm gonna do is uh, I'm I'm gonna actually look into like Billy as a possible character. Like you know, where is he? Who is he? Like you know, like what what are the possibilities of Billy? You know, <laughs> so I mean, I, there, there's still room to work from, even though I basically kind of capped off the thematic. You know, like what what is the thematic rev <laughs> resonance of Twin Peaks on me? as of right now mm. yeah it's a oh, great foundation room yeah so is that what you're gonna do next what what do you got next working on for 25 years later site well i've i've got a lot going on but um i i do want to do one more thing with this whole thing is that there's an ending to to twin peaks but it's not exactly up for grab i mean it's it's up for grabs whether it's a positive or a negative ending and essentially where I'm going with that is that it can be a happy ending or it can be a completely negative ending. But we're not going to know because Dale hasn't made his decision in the final moments. Mm. Mm. I don't really know how to how to explain it better than that. But like, you know, like I, I just kind of feel like this whole thing 
like there there's there's the three takeaways is that the golden shovels is a metaphor for every single character in Twin Peaks. The um the the death of Laura Palmer cannot be erased and that the ending is not concrete in any way whatsoever. Yeah. And it, it's all up to Cooper deciding whether he wants to send his energy positive or negative. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the ambiguous ending in a way. Yeah. But if you dig in deep, I'm sure you'll find something, John. I don't think it's supposed to be answerable. I no. mean, I, I think yeah. that's just where like the viewer comes in. You know, it's like we're supposed to put our own ending on it. And I, I think it's made that way by design because, like, I think Lynch and Frost have different sort of endings in mind. Like, they both have, like, the general direction to aim for, but, like, they, yeah. I don't think either one of them would agree on exactly how it's supposed to really be concluded in Cooper's brain. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I like the fact that we don't know. and Yeah. It's always been Twin Peaks, right? It's always been a mystery. Yeah. Always tried yeah. To, yeah. If season four happened, right, it would right. end the it, same it way. <laughs> yeah. If, it, if season four happens, you know, it would be another 12 mm. episodes, 13 episodes no, right. of, I mean, of whatever, yeah. and then the ending would be another ambiguous ending. John Thorne, way back in Wrapped in Plastic, basically said that. He basically said mm. if... You know, if they were ever going to make a season three, it was going to be ambiguous and it was going to be yeah. – people weren't yep. going to be happy and they weren't going to be like, oh, this is a satisfying ending. And I, yeah. it's hard to realize that. But you're right. If they make a movie, they make season four, we're still going to be left, you know, with a mystery or something. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yep. Yeah, they gave us a roadmap for how to help ourselves and then it's just a matter of does the Cooper decide to help himself or not? Mm. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I think the best ending of anything for me was Firewalk With Me. <clears throat> if I had to say I, any ending. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it, it seems like Laura was happy in the end, right? Yeah, so, I was satisfied yeah. by that ending. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's Laura's ending. Yeah. And then Cooper's ending is whatever we need it to be. Yeah. Yeah. This is Rob King with 25 Years Later. Our staff and editors would like to thank you for reading our site. We began as a site dedicated to the analysis of Twin Peaks, but today we are happy to share our expanded material for similarly intricate series, popular culture fandoms, film, and Shudder content. We will continue to extend our love for Twin Peaks' deep exploratory analysis in the fan community as we look to each of these. So please join us as we discuss film releases from A24, Shudder, and Shout Factory, as well as series like Lost, Northern Exposure, and The OA, just to name a few. And you won't want to miss our lineup of interviews from Twin Peaks cast and crew to the directors of Shudder original content and more. And as always, we hope to bring you thoughtful, deep analysis to the series that brought us together, Twin Peaks. So again, thank you always for your time and dialogue with 25YO. Well, cool. thank you, John. I mean, this was like yeah. awesome. And I mean, like for me, there's parts that I'll gravitate to more than others. And yeah. I've always been infatuated by the the, the musical stuff. And, yeah. the, and I love how you broke it down with the parts. And I have to say, your writing and the way you structured this is unbelievable. And for people like me who are like, I'm like, I'm confused. <laughs> I'm reading this, I get it, I, I love it, and it makes me think. And, yeah. and you know, 2019, you know, Ben and myself, we kind of strayed away from Twin Peaks a little bit, going with on mm -hmm. the on the air. In 2018, yeah. 20 in 2018, yeah. we strayed away. So this is a great way to get us 
back into yes. the mindset of Twin Peaks for 2019. I totally agree. Yeah. I'm glad I could help. I mean, this is a huge labor of love that I started like almost a year ago to the date at this point. Wow. And I'm, just, I'm just really happy to finally have it in a in a manageable package, even if it had to be five manageable packages. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the little charts help, and I love seeing your notes. Yes, I love the notes and the diagrams yeah. and, and, and incorporating other people's stuff and, and just how you – it definitely shows that it took you a year to put together. It shows that, uh, the time and detail uh, that you really put into this. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to be able to put it out there for people because, I mean, I, I think it'll I think it'll help, like, solidify something in everybody's brain if they if they give it a chance. I'm not saying, you know, I'm 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 not trying to convert people to it specifically, but like I know how it is with theories. You know, it's like there's a whole bunch of really good theories out there that like there's a couple of nuggets that'll like get me going on a completely different path. And I, I would love to be able to like give those kind of presents to people sometimes yeah so so john tell us where can people find you and all all that wonderful stuff before we get going yeah well they can definitely find us over at a a 25 years later site and like next month we're doing a twin peaks uh uh, twin peaks month we're starting a whole new tradition we're doing this thing every february where we go back to twin peaks and like right now we've got last time i checked we have like 15 articles coming out on twin peaks and like everything great we've got a a secret diary series that uh maya mcbriar is spearheading and she's starting out tomorrow uh i mean by the time this is uh posted i mean probably hers and mine will be out already yeah uh she's covering she's looking into uh jennifer lynch and everything that you know her career and like the diary and all that and um i'm working on the audio book <laughs> right now That's which awesome. is that is a massive experience i tell you what because i i mean bob was a huge huge uh, source of nightmares for me so <laughs> listening listening to cheryl Lee say it like where you like literally cannot look away far enough to get yeah. away from it's it's something else but i uh yeah it, it one it's one other way to basically say like yeah the uh the trauma that lara palmer went through cannot be erased definitely uh, and you know i we've said it before but on twitter jennifer lynch said that if they mm-hmm. did an audiobook she was going to play bob and it didn't work out that way <laughs> but i mean like i think it's so powerful that we have cheryl lee who is laura also doing the voice of bob yep. and like it's, it's oh like, yeah there's almost like a whole other meaning to that. Like wow. it's some, like, yeah. evil within in some way. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's pretty powerful stuff. There is nothing spookier than that. I, I tell you what, like I knew it was coming, thank God. <laughs> or else I, I would have just, like, you know, I would have been kind of freaked out at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Well, I'm so excited that 25 Years Later site is doing a whole month of Twin Peaks. I mean, you guys are yeah. so busy with that. I know you recently just did, uh, talked about the new Ghostbuster movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a we got a whole new news division coming out. I'm going to be talking the uh, Millar World uh, series coming out that Sandra Bullock's attached to. Oh. I, I can't think of its name right now because I'm too Twin Peaksy. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, we we got all kinds of good stuff coming out now. Like uh, there there's a thing we're doing called What's the Buzz that like you know like everybody behind the scenes you know we're always kind of sharing like what we're into anyway so we figured you know let's just turn this into an article that nice. way like everybody kind of see what we're into and um uh starting tomorrow um the the last friday of every month i'm going to be doing this pop culture 25 years later and uh, i'm going to focus on one month at a time of 1994 and if anybody's paying attention to music there is so much music in huh. 1994 yes. wow. 
Yeah, so I got my work cut out for me on that one, but I've got a lot of help there too. Like there's there's people talking about like um, the you know the, <laughs> we got a reference to a British soap opera. Yeah, like there's all kinds of stuff that like I was not even aware of that we're going to be talking about through that series too. Cool. So yeah, we're we're just we're just spreading the love all the way around everywhere we can. Yeah, I really enjoy. I mean, I of course we love Twin Peaks, but I do enjoy all, <laughs> a lot of the other articles and other television and movie stuff that you guys cover. So I yeah. can't wait to see and what that, you guys do next. As a '90s kid, <laughs> I will definitely be reading the the, the music of '94. That that has <laughs> oh, perked my ears. 94 or 84? They said 94. <laughs> 94. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bad 84? No, I want 84. I want 94. That's what he said. Well. He yeah. said 94. I want 94. So, it's got to be 94 because it's 25 years later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See? Very exciting. All right. So anybody out there wants to give us a comment, a question, a theory about today's episode, TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. You can like us on the old Facebook at TwinPeaksUnwrapped. And Ben, Twitter, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, Twitter is always a buzz, right? It's always a buzz, and, and I love, you know, uh, the community, and I love seeing what 25 Years Later site does, and our partners there, they're doing great work, and it's just, it's a wonderful community. It's something special yep. always to go every day to see what people are doing, and uh, awesome, love it. So, like us, follow us, subscribe to us on iTunes, we're on Google Play, Spotify, um, all your favorite pod catcher places, we are there. <laughs> Give yep. us that five-star review on iTunes. And with that, um, see you I, next week. See you next week. Thanks, John. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse is proud to welcome Edward Lewis Severson.